I'd love to, to share with you from Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, let's, let's just uh, ask God to, to guide us. Um, my hope is to share with you about being living sacrifices today. God, thank you um, for the privilege of, of uh, offering ourselves to you. God, we ask that you would speak this morning. Thank you that you are the one who works in our hearts. I depend on you. Pray that you would speak. I thank you and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Helen Rosevere was born in England in 1925. When she was a young girl, her Sunday school teacher told her class about India, and Helen resolved to herself one day she would be a missionary. Despite the, the Christian heritage of her family and faithful attendance at church, Helen sensed a void in her life and distance from God. She felt that God could meet both her need and the crushing, overwhelming problems of the world that she was studying about, but she found herself asking, where is he? How can I find him? How can I become part of his pattern, part of losing myself in him? Well, Helen enrolled in Cambridge University to study medicine. And uh, she was actually part of our organization um, there at the, uh, in the UK. The Lord met her in a, in a personal way in 1945 at a student conference. And uh, she, gave her final she gave her testimony on the final evening of that conference. Um, uh, Bible teacher Graham Scroggie wrote a verse in her Bible that day. And this is what it was. It was Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And here's what Mr. Scroggie told her that night. He said, tonight you've only entered into the first part of this verse, to know him. This is only the beginning, and there's a long journey ahead. My prayer for you is that you will go on through the verse to know the power of his resurrection and also, God willing, one day, perhaps the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Well, Helen felt an increased sense of calling towards missions and publicly she declared during a missionary gathering in North England, I will go anywhere God wants me to whatever the cost. Afterwards, I went up into the mountains and I had it out with God, she said. Okay, God, today I mean it. Go ahead and make me more like Jesus, whatever the cost. But please, knowing myself fairly well, when I, can't, when I feel I can't stand anymore and I cry out, stop, will you ignore my stop? And would you remember that today I said, go ahead? Brothers and sisters, Helen Rosevere was offering herself as a living sacrifice to God. And today I want to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 with you. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Let's look at just a little bit about the background of, of this text. From Romans chapter 1, we see that Paul, the author of this book, is writing to Roman believers, to Gentiles, people who were not Jews, who were believing in the city of Rome, Italy. Now here, notice, he starts with the word, therefore. Well, that's interesting. Why start with therefore? You have to find out why is that word there? What comes prior to this? And when I looked back in the book of Romans, I found that Paul was building a case for why people should consider giving their lives to God as living sacrifices. Here are some nuggets from the first part of the book of Romans. God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless the whole world through him. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have been justified. We've been made right with God freely. And it's by God's grace. That's his kindness that we don't deserve. We've been given God's righteousness. And now we have peace with God. We've been gifted with eternal life. God worked with the Jews. They stumbled. They were disciplined. But he loved them. He wanted, to, wanted them to follow him. But now he's bringing another group, the Gentiles, non-Jews, to himself. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. They are being grafted in, just as a branch is being grafted into a, a, an existing tree. This is done through grace. It's not done of works. It's not a performing for God. We need to believe in our hearts. We need to confess with our mouth, and we can be saved. This good news needs to be spread far and wide. Glory be to God. Those are just some nuggets from the first chapters of Romans until we now get here to Romans chapter 12. So therefore, in light of this, in light of all that God has done, Paul makes this deep invitation to the believers in Rome to give their bodies as living sacrifices to God. Let's look deeper at this verse. When it says that Paul urges them, this word comes from two words, to call and side. It means like to call to your side. Can you, can you, can you imagine Paul sort of put, I could, I, this is how I could imagine, putting his arm around these believers and saying, hey, I love you and I urge you. I'm coming alongside of you. Let's together give our bodies to God. How can Paul ask these people to do such a huge thing? To give your whole self to God? Well, Paul summarizes, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Friends, God has showered mercy on us. Maybe you are newer here today. Maybe you're online and, and you're, you're, you have not heard much about God's mercy. Well, I have good news for you. But first, the bad news. We are broken, sinful people. We have all gone our own way. We do what we want instead of what God wants, even though it offends God. 
We have rebelled against him. God says that we are his enemies. It's our sins that separate us from God. And we deserve his punishment. Now the good news. God has a big, huge, compassionate heart for us. He loved us so much that he took the punishment that we deserve. Jesus, who is God in human form, who is 100% perfect, he suffered humiliation, horrible beating, being mocked and scorned, and ultimately dying on the cross for us, a very cruel death. His death made it possible that we could be forgiven. And we are now offered the gift of eternal life. Because of God's mercy, we can be forgiven. We can receive eternal life. And a relationship with God is possible. If you haven't received this gift yet, I invite you to invite him into your life today. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which I alluded to earlier, says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can know this. It's a surety. You will be saved. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You can talk to God right now, giving yourself to him. Now back to our text. In view of this huge gift of mercy, Paul is pleading that we present our bodies, our bodies to him. He says we are to be living sacrifices. All through the Old Testament, the people of God were giving sacrifices to him, killing animals and offering them to God. These animals had no rights of their own. They were now gods, completely available for his service. Here God is saying, we are to be sacrifices. Not dead sacrifices, living sacrifices, completely given to God, completely available for whatever he chooses. We are to be living, dead people. Romans 6 talks about our old selves dying and yet living a new life. Let me read a few verses for you. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So, what kind of living sacrifices are we to be? Holy and pleasing to God. Separated from sin. Set aside for God's use. And then it says, this is your true and proper worship. What? I thought worship was when we were just singing songs up here a few minutes ago. Do you realize that when you and I offer our bodies to God, that's a gift of worship? I'd like to say that again. When you and I offer ourselves to God for whatever he wants, that is an act of worship. 
So giving ourselves completely to God is the logical and reasonable thing to do in light of all that he's done for us. By the way, we often interpret scripture personally. I need to offer myself as a living sacrifice. And yet this text is being spoken to the body of believers. Can you imagine a whole group of believers doing this? All of us, totally available to God for whatever he wants. That's beautiful. One thing has puzzled me about this text. How is it that Paul is writing to people who are already believers, and now he's asking them to give their bodies to God? When you choose to believe, isn't that one and the same thing? That shouldn't, if you're saying, I put my trust in Jesus, doesn't that mean you're giving your whole self at that same time? It seems that for some folks like me, and maybe like these believers, is it possible that they made a commitment to trust in Jesus, but they had not yet surrendered their complete lives to him? In my case, I put my trust in Jesus as a young child. There were times I was scared to die, and, and I wondered, oh, did I, you know, am I saved? Am I, uh, uh, have I done, is everything right between me and God? I would pray that prayer again. I don't, think I, I don't think I had surrendered completely. Here God is asking for complete surrender. I think it's like some, saying something like this. God, as much as I know of who I am today, I offer that to you. How is this practical today? What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? How does this work out in real life? Well, I think it looks different for each person. I remember, remember my parents befriending an elderly man. Uh, his name was Mr. Tilly. Uh, I was a little boy, uh, about six or seven, and uh, Mr. Tilly didn't have a family. He was one of those orphan children that, that had been brought across to Canada. He had no, parent, no family at all. And uh, as he was an elderly man, uh, my parents reached out to him and cared for him. I remember we would go to visit in his home. It was boring for me, I confess, as a boy. My parents were talking to him. I, his, he had a very nice floor, though. He had a floor with linoleum, and he had little squiggly lines going everywhere. So I enjoyed following those lines wherever they went across the room. But anyways, my parents were caring for Mr. Tilly. And uh, the time came when Mr. Tilly could not care for himself. And uh, so... Uh, about half an hour away was a, was a home for senior citizens. Mr. Tilly decided to move there. But there was no opening. And winter was coming, and he didn't have running water in his house. And so my parents made a very big decision. They decided to move out of their bedroom, and Mr. Tilly moved into their bedroom. That's a, that's a sacrifice. I don't think I can forget that. It was when I was in college that I realized Jesus was asking me, are you willing to do anything? Are you willing to go anywhere at any cost, any time? I remember wrestling with that. What are the implications of that? What could God ask me to do if I said, yes, I'll do anything? And I fought with God about that. But how can you fight against God? 
How can you say I believe in you, but I won't do what you say? How can I do that? So I wondered, would God ask me to leave my family? Would I have to move to another country? Finally, I surrendered and I said yes to God for whatever he would want. And deep peace came into my heart. Over time, God did lead me to leave my family. And I ended up moving to the United States uh, to work with poor kids in a large city. I remember, I remember another time, uh, it was January of 1998. I'd been now 14 years living in, in San Jose, California, working with poor kids. And I came, for, I came home for Christmas as I, as I normally would. And, uh, and I, after that, I would visit in Bible colleges across the western provinces and, and recruit summer interns to come and work in the inner city as well. Well, it was on my last day of that trip. I was driving from Winnipeg to Calgary. It was just me in the car and God. And, and God was tugging on my heart. And I felt like he was asking me to re-surrender again. And so finally I told God, okay, God, whatever you want, any, I'll do anything, any time, any cost. The next day I flew back to San Jose. And on my answering machine was a message from someone in my organization saying, James, will you move to Arkansas to start a youth center for poor kids over here? My first thought was no. I had lots to do in my neighborhood yet. But I remembered what did I tell God yesterday? I can't say no. So I had to go through the process of investigating and seeing, is this God or was this just a message on my machine? And uh, it turned out to be God more clearly than anything in my life. In a few months, I had to say goodbye to, to everyone and the ministry there, and I had to move 2,000 miles across the country. In 2011, Anne and I took students to China on a summer mission. At one point, we realized, what if this is not just a summer mission? What if God would say, move to China? It happened again in 2015 when we went to Turkey. That same picture where we had the privilege of baptizing Mariam and Daniel, and they became members of this church at that time. On that trip, we asked ourselves, what if God would say, move to Turkey? Each time we've had to say, okay, God, whatever you want. And then after that, we would talk to each other, and we would say, did God say anything to you? No, did God say anything to you? Okay, I guess God still needs us in Edmonton. I was thinking back to the Old Testament. Were there examples of living sacrifice there? And one jumped out at me. Do you remember Abram offering his son Isaac? Sarah could not have a child. She was barren. Then God blessed them with the impossible to have a child. And Isaac was born. And God said... God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Can you imagine the cost of that? That would be a living sacrifice. And God made a way, God, God made a way and provided a, a substitute so he didn't have to kill his son. But, but what, a, what a challenge. 
Are we willing to offer everything to God? Our lives, the lives of our children. Anne and I have felt like God wanted us to give our girls to him, asking him to use them wherever he needs them the most in this world. We, you heard that Melody is going off to college now. We're just feeling the beginning of that tearing. We don't know where that leads, right? What, what comes next? But, but yes, God, whatever you want. What about our homes, our careers, our dreams? Are they all God's? I heard a story about a denomination which had a number of pastors who were looking for, for work as pastors. These were pastors who wanted to work in British Columbia. But not only that, they, they chose that they wanted to serve God anywhere, I think it was south of Kelowna, they would be willing to serve God. Oh my, oh my, think about that. Can we tell God where or where we will or where we won't serve him and then think we are sacrificing ourselves for him? Friends, if, if we have not given ourselves to God as living sacrifices, likely we have not understood the cost of what Jesus did for us. If we have not given ourselves to God as living sacrifices, likely we have not yet understood the cost of what he did in paying for our sinful broken lives when he died on the cross for us. Coming back to the story of Dr. Rosevier, in 1953, at the age of 28, she arrived in the northeastern region of the Congo, later named Zaire. Soon she founded a training school for nurses, training women to serve as nurse evangelists, who in turn would run clinics and dispensaries in different regions. In 1955, she transferred to run an abandoned maternity and leprosy center in another place in Zaire. Working with local Africans, Helen helped to transform the center into a hospital with 100 beds, serving mothers, lepers, and children, along with a training school for paramedics, and get this, 48 rural clinics. Outside of these facilities, there was no other help for 150 miles in any direction. The Congo became independent in 1964. I'm sorry, in 1960. And civil war broke out in 1964. All of the medical facilities that had been established were destroyed. Helen was among 10 Protestant missionaries that were put under house arrest by the rebel forces for several weeks, after which time they were moved and imprisoned. She describes the horror of what happened after she tried to escape. They found me, dragged me to my feet, struck me over my head and shoulders, flung me on the ground, kicked me, dragged me to my feet only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouth full of sticky blood, my glasses gone. Beyond sense, numb with horror and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed back to my own house, yelled at, insulted, cursed. On October 29, 1964, Helen Rosevere was brutally violated. Helen later recounted. On that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified, tormented, unutterably alone, 
I felt at last that God had failed me. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things didn't need to go that far. I had reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why, were the words that she heard. In this darkness, however, Helen sensed the Lord saying to her, you asked me when you were first converted for the privilege of being a missionary. This is it. Don't you want it? These are not your sufferings. They're mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. She eventually received an overwhelming sense of privilege that Almighty God would stoop to ask me, a mere nobody, in a forest clearing in the jungles of Africa, something that he needed. She later pointed to God's goodness despite this evil. Through the brutal, heartbreaking experience of being violated, God met with me with outstretched arms of love. It was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew that his love was unutterably sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. She also wrote, one word became unbelievably clear, and that was the word privilege. He didn't take away pain or cruelty or humiliation. No, it was all there. But now it was altogether different. It was with him, for him, in him. He was actually offering me the inestimable, inestimable privilege of sharing in some little way the edge of the fellowship of his sufferings. In the weeks of imprisonment that followed and in the subsequent years of continued service, looking back, one has tried to count the cost, but I find it swallowed up in privilege. The cost suddenly seems very small and transient in the greatness and permanence of privilege. During her captivity, Helen Rosevier helped aid medically 80 Greek Cypriots, workers abducted by the rebels. Especially one lady was in pain, seven months pregnant. So Mama Luca, as she was known, was called upon to attend her. With rebel guards on either side of her, she stepped among the cowering Cypriots until she found the needy lady. She didn't speak Greek, so she went through the languages she knew one by one to ask if the lady was hurt. English, French, Swahili, Lingala. Finally, she found someone who could translate into Greek and eventually led not only the lady but the whole prison hall of captives in a sinner's prayer. As the only area doctor, she had attended to the Cypriots for years but had made no headway in evangelizing them. Suffering brought a new openness to the gospel. When I eventually left the house, they were all looking up and smiling and wanting to shake my hands, she remembers. It was wonderful. God, you are marvelous. When the awful moments came in the rebellion, you almost felt, no, this has gone too far. I can't accept it. Seems that the price is too high to pay. And then God seemed to say, change the question from, is it worth it? to, is he worthy? She and her missionary cohorts were taken out to be executed by the firing squad. Contrary to what she had anticipated, she found herself singing. We were singing every song and chorus we could think of with the name of Jesus, she says. 
We were singing in French, English, Swahili, anything. So the last word these rebel soldiers would hear before they shot us was the name of Jesus. We weren't singing to impress our captors. Something else was very real in that moment when you thought you were about to die. And that was the presence of Jesus. Jesus was there. He was so wonderfully there. And it was a privilege. It was just this wonderful certain knowledge. I was going to be with Jesus. And really at that minute, nothing else mattered. Ultimately, Helen was spared. She was released by her captors and returned to England to recover for more than a year. After returning to Africa in 1966, Helen established a new medical center in northeastern Zaire, producing a 250-bed hospital, maternity ward, training college for doctors, a center for leprosy, and other endeavors. Dr. Rosevere once said, God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. On one occasion, God convicted her. You no longer want Jesus only, but Jesus plus. You want respect. You want popularity, public opinion, success, pride. You want to go out with all the trumpets blaring from a farewell uh, do that you organize for yourself with photographs and tape recordings to show and play at home just to reveal what you achieved. You want to feel needed and respected. You want other missionaries to be worried about how they'll ever carry on after you're gone. You'd like letters when you go home to tell how much they realize they owe to you, how much they miss you, all this and more. Jesus plus. No, you can't have it. Either it must be Jesus only, or you will have no Jesus. You'll only have Helen Rosevere. Brothers and sisters, Dr. Rosevere lived life as a living sacrifice. I appreciate that she shared her weaknesses as well. She was a normal, broken follower of Jesus, just like I and as you are. There were temptations to get back off of the altar from being a living sacrifice. We so need God's grace on this journey. Being a living sacrifice will look different for each person. It's possible that this surrendering completely to God might not be so dramatic as it was for Dr. Rosevere. I think it's a daily willingness to die to our own desires, being open and available to God for whatever he wants. When we find we've stepped away from living our lives as living sacrifices, God catches our attention, invites us to repent, calls us back, to living life not for ourselves, but for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's take a couple minutes to talk quietly with Jesus. Here are some questions in response, have you given yourself as a living sacrifice to God? Are you open to whatever God wants for you? This is for you as children. This is for you as adults. Are you willing to do anything, go anywhere, anytime, at any cost? This is his invitation to you. Did you at one time make this decision, but maybe you've wandered from it? Well, then I would invite you to come back.
Will you surrender or resurrender to Jesus today, offering yourself as a living sacrifice? Let's just take a couple minutes to be quiet. Ask Jesus, what is he asking of you? And I will be doing the same. God, I thank you for this Sunrise family. Thank you for your working in our lives. Thank you for how you tug on our hearts to want us to do whatever it is that you would like. God, would you help us as we wrestle with the cost of this? God, would you draw us to yourself? Help, remind us of the, all you've done for us so that we in turn can give all for you. God, we recommit ourselves to following you. Help us to be available this week for whatever you would like of us. We want to be available. Thank you that you know us in our brokenness. You know us in our weakness. God, we come with as much of who we know as what we know of ourselves. We offer this to you for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.